good afternoon today I'm talking to Sue. Hiya Sue, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Hi, I'm Susan Handley. I'm a crime fiction writer. I write police procedurals. Um, I've got two series that I write. I've got the um, DC Cat McKenzie series about a young rookie uh, police detective cat. Um, and I've got a second series, um, which is the D.I. Matt Fisher series. And Matt is a blind detective. Um, Matt was um, once a pro footballer. And then following knee surgery, he had to give that up and became joined the police force and became a detective. And then following an acid attack, was blinded. And this is his first case paid in blood. Uh, the first book is his first case back on the force as a detective, seeing whether or not he can hack it. Apart from those two series, I've written two anthologies of short stories, all crime-based. They are more of a mix. There's some police procedural, there's some cosy crime, there's some darker crime. So generally, as long as it's crime-based, it get you know that's the sort of thing I write. Um, and that I don't write under any other uh, pen names, any other genre. So that's it, really. Um, I live in Kent with my husband and two cats, Charlie and Porridge. Um, and when I'm not writing, I'm gardening usually or walking, but gardening mainly. Uh, did you always want to be a writer? No, no. I mean, I, th I think probably I would have loved the idea of being a writer when I was younger. I used to read a lot. Um, and I think, to be honest, if I'd have known about like literary agents or jobs like that when I was a teenager, I think my career might have gone a totally different direction, but I just didn't even know they existed. Um, so... Um, I went down a chemistry route, so I became a chemist briefly, hated it. So then I retrained as an accountant, not quite so briefly, but still hated it. <laughs> and then I started to work um, in more senior jobs in the public sector, still hated it. And so I used to write um, just for enjoyment, so just for um, leisure, really, uh, and loved it. And so I found myself wanting, you know, I'd take days off work so I could spend a day writing. And when it got to the point where I was like writing four nights a week and was really regretting the day job for getting in the way with my writing. <laughs> so that's how it came about, really. Um, and was it crime fiction you read that made you decide to write crime as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I probably have read non-crime fiction periodically but I generally read crime I mean my mum introduced me to Agatha Christie's and the Guy and Marsh that sort of um, P.D. James when I was in my teens quite young teens actually Agatha Christie I was reading probably 14 13 14 years old and that did it for me um absolutely hooked on it and, and I'm not fussy about sort of crime I'll read cozy I'll read American I'll read English police procedurals um don't mind and occasionally I'll try you know I'll do a literary fiction just to break it up a bit and I'm always blown away by how good it is <laughs> and sort of, but I think they always say write what you know and I've read a lot of crime so I feel more comfortable writing that and when you first started writing your series, did you know it was going to be a series? Yeah, yeah. I had, 
a very clear idea of how I wanted the first series was the Cat McKenzie's one. There's three books in that series at the moment. The fourth should be out this year. I've almost finished the first draft. Um, and I, it's about a young woman who didn't leave school to become a detective. It's a similar sort of thing. She, she was um, working in the Maldives as a marine biologist when her brother died. And her brother was a detective. And she suddenly thought it was a bit of an eye opener. She thought actually I should do something more worthwhile with my life rather than bobbing around in a boat in the Maldives, sunning myself. And, um, and I just got a really good idea of how this rookie with quite a naive sense about her because she didn't know, she, she'd never worked in an office. She didn't know anything about office politics. So she was quite naive and her, her boss calls her a bit of a Pollyanna but she's also very determined. And I just thought I could have a lot of fun writing her because she's not the traditional, got lots of problems and lots of hangups or anything like that. She's, she's actually very healthy. She looks after herself. She's very sensible. But because she's got this can-do and naive approach, she gets herself into all sorts of scrapes. So I, had, I thought I could actually go quite a long distance with her. Um, and I've changed it around quite a lot because... There's elements of her life where she's young enough that relationships start to get in the way a little bit sometimes. And so you can you can make it quite three-dimensional quite easily. So yeah, I always knew it was going to be a series there. Um, and is she based on um, sort of anyone you know or your life in any way or just literally um, something you thought up? I think she's probably who I'd like to have been if I was better <laughs> in some respects elements of her um, and I think her tenacity I admire and I think it's actually just there are some people that I've met in my working career that actually just don't get phased by things they do but they brush themselves off very quickly and they just throw themselves back in again and don't say no you know don't keep, take no for an answer and I think it was that sort of thing so it's probably there's been quite a lot of very strong women characters in my life my grandmother was one um I did chemistry and my chemistry lecturer um my supervisor she was an incredible woman very very um strong strong-minded and I think there's elements of those personalities um sort of that I've probably taken bits of them and created this woman that I think you can admire. Um, if you were to be a character in either of your series, which one would you choose? It would probably be Cat, I think. Um, in the D.I. Matt Fisher series, he's got partner because obviously he's blind and he relies on his partner who's a, a DC, Beth Nightingale, and he relies on her quite a lot and she's quite um she's quite a, a good character again she's because the nice thing is you never really know what she looks like because it's all done from like Matt's point of view um but you pick up little hints and tips and um she seems quite pliable but actually the more you get to know her, the more you realize she isn't and she's one of these people that probably gets through life getting an awful lot of what she wants because she makes people think it's their idea so I quite like her as well, but I think it would probably be Kat, because I think she gets into more scrapes and has a bit more fun. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, too much talking. <laughs> um, what made you choose um, to have a blind lead character and did it uh, create extra research? It did, definitely. Um, the, I think it was probably because I've known a couple of people where things have had life-changing events happen to them, quite out of the blue. And it astonished me how well they coped. Friends who've um, really had life-changing injuries. And they've just rose to the challenge, risen to the challenge, and have taken it and run with it, literally. And it's been astonishing. And I actually thought, well, what would happen if you've got a career and something happens that really derails you? Um, and you're a strong personality how easy would it be to say actually I'm not giving up and I'm not I mean in the, the case of the Matt Fisher series you know he was he was a, a, a normal bloke very confident a bit cocky um, had already retrained once when his football career went down the pan and the fact that he was he was a bit of a hero he saved a woman from having this acid thrown in her face and in turn put it in his own face and was blinded and I thought, I don't think somebody like him would give up that easily. And the question is whether or not the employers would let him. But actually, unions, I think, could argue quite strongly that he could still do his job because actually quite often they go out in pairs anyway. As long as he's not having to drive, there's nothing. He's got a guide dog, so he is mobile and he can get around. He's paired with this young woman who... It, by all rights needs needs some coaching so she can take him around and explain the scenes but it is his first case back and he has proved he's got to prove himself and the management the, the police senior management aren't convinced he can do it and actually I think it's a case of they're waiting for him to fail and they're sort of the union reps have forced their hand to say actually unless he proves himself incapable He's, you've got to judge him as capable you can't otherwise it's a disability discrimination um so it's you know, no pun intended but all eyes are on matt and can he do the job and actually uh, he, as he starts to investigate the case he starts to doubt whether he can do it he's not sure if he can actually hack it anymore because things happen where he thinks if i could see i wouldn't have made that mistake so he starts to question his own abilities which gives it an extra dimension really but in terms of research I was lucky enough that um, I made contact with a guy through Twitter actually who's blind he's got a guide dog and I mean he rises to the challenges he's he's run marathons he's um, done these the sort of parachute dives in these cylinder things he's water skied he cycles so you know you sort of contact with people like that. You think, actually, why couldn't a guy continue to do his job? And, you know, the guy, the blind guy that I know, um, you know, he works full time. So it's, it's doable. And I think the more people are challenging themselves with disabilities, the more the establishment has got to challenge um, how they work and facilitate people with disabilities actually continuing to do their job albeit where, with some support. So it, it was, um, and it was interesting from the police procedural side as well, because um, I got a, a DI from Kent um, Authority, Kent 
police to read it and she came up with some really good suggestions as to um, how you can introduce more tactile elements for in the writing to give more depth about what it would be like on the scene so obviously you, you can't use the same um, descriptions of what you can see but what you can smell makes a big difference our blood smells very strongly and the whole um, element of things that you hear that you'd hear maybe more acutely, that you'd smell, um, that you, you'd feel. So it was actually, as, a, as an author, it was a real challenge to be able to write a book without having to rely on the visuals. So that was interesting. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome, yeah. Um, and what's the most interesting thing you found out um, when doing research for your books? Um. I'm not sure it's most interesting to most people, but I love the medical elements. I love the um, talking to you about doing forensic science. It's I think it's the the forensic science inroads that allow a case to be not only solved because actually quite often I think in police they know who's done something, they know what they've done, they know how they've done it. It's proving it. And I, I quite like reading all the science side. Having done a science degree myself, I suppose I personally get drawn into that. And I like using that so that you can get a better sense of closure at the end of the book because it, I like to be able to prove something's been, um, the, the way that the crime has been committed. And I like to use just elements of science so that the police then are more sure about getting a, a proper conviction. So I think it's it's that side that again it's it's adds to uh, sort of being one dimensional really I suppose. Hmm. We were talking before and you said that you're um, an indie publisher and indie author. Have you made lots of author friends since you became an author? I wasn't lots, but I have made some. I think using a lot of uh, Facebook groups has really helped. Um, <laughs> And before lockdown, I used to um, run uh, Ashford Writers, Ashford in Kent. We used to have a small writing group and that was quite good. So I met quite a few authors and got good friends out of that. Obviously, since lockdown, haven't seen anybody. And we did try to do it online with Facebook and that just didn't work. The dynamic was so different. Um, I mean, that was really good because I used to write a short story every fortnight. And that was a really good thing to just practice different writing styles, practice different story styles. And so that's how I ended up with two anthologies of short stories, because they were the, the stories that I was writing for that. So, yeah. Um, and would you like to go to some of the events once they all start happening again? Oh, I'd love, to, I'd love to go to Harrogate. I'd love to go to Harrogate. Um, yeah, I, I went, funnily enough, I went to London Book Fair donkey's years ago. Um, and it wasn't until I'd sort of been and gone and then read about other events that I realised it was probably not the right one to have gone to as an indie. I mean, I, I did sit in on some uh, sessions which were quite helpful. Um, I was lucky enough to meet James Patterson, which was quite good, and get got a couple of signed books from him. And, and I had a session with um, a literary agent who'd read... Uh, sort of part I think it was a short story I'd written so I got feedback from them which was quite good so but yeah I'd love to I've, I've been to a couple We've got, there's a Rochester Lit Fest which I've been to which was really good and that was Mark Billingham was there and that's quite good and Hugh Frazier and 
few of the good writers. Yeah, Mark Benenon's a nutcase, isn't he? <laughs> oh, so entertaining. They're so entertaining. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah, always one of, when people sort of say, you know, if you had dinner party, who would you invite? And I always think he's got to be on it because he can talk about his time in TV. He can talk about what he's done in his books. And then if you get too bored, you can just sit and sing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> entertain you with his music. So... Yeah, or voices. I think he's doing his own um, audio books, isn't he? So I think he's doing all the, yeah, or just tell you about all the famous people he's met. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and comedy. He's done stand-up as well, hasn't he? So yeah, Yes. Some people yeah. stop it all, don't they? <laughs> yeah. But he's very um, modest with it, he seems. I mean, yeah. it, it's one of those things that he, he has got it all, but you wouldn't know it just to talk to him. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's lovely. Which is even more annoying, I think. <laughs> yeah. You can't hate him for anything. No. <laughs> um, and do you get a lot of feedback from readers? Yeah, but it's it's really strange because I think they they don't tend to give it that readily because they sort of think that you know what they're going to say, which is really strange. So when they start to say, oh, I read this and I really love this, and you, think, and you go, oh, because for me, it's like, oh, really? And then immediately they're like, oh, yeah. And you think, oh, you know, that's really nice. So, um, yeah, I mean, my biggest, I wouldn't say gripe is too strong a word. It's, I can't think of the right word, but difficulty with being an indie is getting feedback um, in, in enough volume that you don't have these total crises of confidence when you're thinking is it any good is it sometimes it's like a tumbleweed moment and you think has anybody read it is anybody enjoying it so, you know and you sort of think should I keep going shouldn't I keep going and then somebody just out of the blue will say something or you'll get a review and you just think oh okay okay that's okay yeah. I just needed a little something thank you yeah but reviews are I know it's difficult as well because I think people get reviewed sick, don't they? Like, it's everybody wants you to review everything. Um, so it, it is difficult. And also, I think if you're not a writer, especially when they, for Amazon to have a review rather than just a rating, I think people find it difficult because I think they feel, well, I don't want to be able to, I don't know how to put it into words. So, but I would say to anybody that reads them and feeds back, I say, well, just a few words, just say, yeah, really loved it, you know, great read or anything. It would be good. Yeah, something that I've been trying to do with my group and I know some of the other groups have tried to do as well is try and encourage people, but some people I think are always going to be like, yeah, I don't know what to say and stuff. But, yeah, I do. I get it now. I don't think I used to either, but since I started talking to authors, I realised how much they need it. So I review yeah. everything. <laughs> but yeah. 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 Well, I was now, can I try to read quite regularly? Um, probably don't read as, as much as I'd like, but um, I'll probably get through a book of once a fortnight. But I always leave a review. I always leave a review on Amazon and Goodreads. Because um, I always think, I know how much I appreciate them. So I can, I mean, the only time I don't is if I don't finish a book. If I don't finish a book, for whatever reason, because it's just not for me, then I won't put a negative, I won't put a bad review, like, on that basis. I just think it wasn't for me, and I'll leave it, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's your biggest fear, and would you write about it? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Oh, 
Well, I suppose my biggest fear is being made to feel unsafe in my own home. You know, we, I live in a really rural area and um, like on my lane, there's only four houses. Um, we are probably two miles away from the new shops, that sort of thing, and surrounded by fields. And I think um, there's quite a lot of um, changes have been happening recently and people have bought land and things have been happening and, and you do feel really quite unsettled. And, and I think that would be that something would happen that would undermine my safety in my own home or, you know, it's like having the neighbours from hell type of thing. That, that would be a real worry. And yes, I would definitely write about it. And there's elements of things that have happened in the vicinity of where I live that I've actually factored into the Cat McKenzie book four that I'm writing at the moment. Because there were things that were happening that I found really unsettling. And the emotion that it generated, I thought was such a powerful emotion. I thought it, I really need to cash in on that and actually write in, the, in a story because I always think you need some emotion to be the catalyst for your stories. So that if you care, then the reader will care, hopefully. So yes, but that would be it. I was over this thing where, you know, if somebody was malevolent enough and vindictive enough, they could make your life a living hell by quite subtle means. So, yeah. Yeah, which is quite scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, what's been your favourite moment so far as an author? Um, probably getting reviews. But, um, funny enough, I, I buy my eggs from a lady who lives down the road and I walk there or I cycle there. And we've become quite good friends over the last 12 months. And we sort of stand and chat over her fence, over her gate. And um, I happened to mention that I was an author. And without knowing anything about it, she bought my books. I didn't realise. And um, she didn't say when she bought them, but actually I went to get some eggs one day and she said, well, I read, I read your first book um, yesterday. And I said, oh, how are you finding it? She said, no, I read it. I finished it. She said, I couldn't put it down. And she said, so I, you know, I read it in one sitting. She said, I haven't, I haven't done that for donkey shit. So moments like that are a real, like, just totally unexpected. And you just think that's what makes it all worthwhile. It really does. And so you suddenly think... I've got for that. <laughs> and what's your biggest dream? Oh, probably to still be churning out two books a year in the next like 10, 20 years, but actually having a bigger readership. That's got to be it. It's it's actually getting a bit higher on the, the bestsellers lists and seeing yourself and actually being big enough to probably have a book in Waterstones because at the moment everything I do goes on Amazon, but that's it. Other than things I do like giveaways and um, competition stuff. So um, to be able to walk into Waterstones or to be going to the airport and walking past Smith's and seeing your title on that bookshelf in Smith's, um, I think that would be great. I always uh, look at Neil Gaiman, does the thing where he goes if he's in the airport he'll find his books and he signs them and I think so just random people will buy a signed copy of a Neil Gaiman book that he's signed while he's been passing in the airport and I think that's such a lovely gesture and I think to have the opportunity to do that would be fantastic. 
Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, if you were able to spend a day with an author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? Agatha Christie. I'm sure everybody says that, or so many people say it, but it really would be. Um, I've been so in awe of her, having read everyone, everything she's written quite a few multiple times. Because I can just lose myself in her books. I think it's partly the, the crime story. Part of it is the era and the, the feeling that it evokes. Part of it is the familiarity, because I read them. And generally, I can tell you who did it, why they did it, how they did it, and how they get found out. But it doesn't diminish my enjoyment of it. And one of my, um, my most lovely pleasures at Christmas is... I will choose a book in advance and I will sit down and I'll spend an afternoon in front of the fire and a glass of Baileys and a mince pie because they're quite quick to read. So you can really plough through them. Um, but I've also read her autobiography, which is a fantastic read. And the autobiography she wrote when she was with Max Malone and her um, archaeologist husband when they were in Syria doing all the digs. And that is a fascinating read. So it's partly wanting to talk to her as a crime writer, but actually so many elements of her life were so interesting. And she did so many things that were ahead of her time. Um, you know, like surfing in Hawaii when she was, I think, in her 20s. And you just think, wow. And when her and her first husband divorced, she just went off and travelled. So she'd get on the Orient Express and go travelling to the Middle East on her own and then do the Nile cruise on her own, which when you think about it, I think that was the 30s. It's just incredible. So, yeah, I think she would have an awful lot to say. And then also there's the question, about, so what really did happen when she went missing? That's what, you know, that's still a secret she took to her grave, so... Yeah, that's the uh, the reason that a lot of people want to see her as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely her. Uh, what's the last book that made you cry? Oh God, the last book I don't know. I remember the first book. It was Charlotte's Web. Oh, I sobbed. I absolutely sobbed when I read that. Because <laughs> yeah, it's I won't spoil it, but. I think if I read it now, I'd, I'd sob. The last book. Oh, I can't remember. I don't cry that easily with books. I cry very easily with films. I'm a bit, uh, very easy. I usually cry with laughter more than I do with um, sadness, I think. But yeah, I don't know. I can't think. I don't know, no. Yeah, I was surprised that crime books could make me cry, actually. Um, I used to cry quite easily, and I don't now, but I, we were talking about Bliss, and uh, I'm not the only one that the next Bliss made me cry, so, yeah. <laughs> they I'm going to have to look out for that, because I'm, I'm about to start Bliss 5. So that's the next one on my list. If you tell Tony that it made you cry, he'll just laugh. He doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good, though, isn't it? Because what you do want to do is evoke some emotion. You want anger or sadness or happiness or jealousy or you, know, you want to get some emotion. You want to touch the reader in some way. Um, yeah, or shock. Shock's always a good one. Yeah, I know. It's just a heartless bastard. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. which I've accused him of, but he just laughs at me, so fine. <laughs> so you're probably right then. And <laughs> no, it's lovely. <laughs> um, which has just made me completely lose my train of thought, actually. Um, so, what do you like to do when you're not writing? Garden. Uh, well, I say like. We bought a. We moved into a house four years ago, five years ago, and it really was a blank canvas. And um, I, I wasn't that experienced at gardening. I'd had a small garden, and I hadn't realised. Just, I mean, it used to take us two and a half hours just to mow the lawn. So now I've got loads of beds where there was lawn. So it doesn't take us two and a half hours to mow the lawn, but it takes a long time to do the weeding. And I hadn't thought of that. So I thought, oh, you know, the initial effort to put a bed in saves all that mowing the lawn. But obviously then you've got all the weeds to do. But um, yeah, I do a lot of gardening and it's it's lovely, especially this time of year because it's so nice. And it's, I heard my first cookie today, which was lovely. So yeah, keeps me keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> Um, post lockdown, you have one country to visit, one concert to go to, and then one other event um, that you have a choice. What are you going to do? Well, country, I'd quite, I'm supposed to be going to Sardinia, and I was supposed to be going last year, and it got cancelled. And then I'm supposed to be going this year, and literally Friday, they said it's not going to happen. So it's going to be next year. So I think. My long-awaited holiday in Sardinia would be my holiday. Um, concert, it would have to be the Foo Fighters. I love the Foo Fighters. I've seen them several times already. Um, and mainly because they also always have um, great support acts. So you don't just go and see the Foo Fighters. They've been supported by Queen, which is mad. You know, Queen supporting Foo Fighters is well, actually, it wasn't supporting. They were on stage with them. Motorhead on stage with them. And so it's just been... Um, so you always know you're in for a really good night. And one of the events... Oh, God. Just to get together with my mates. That would be nice. You know, and we, we, um, we're working on the house. We had quite a big extension put on. And the house that's been renovated entirely. And we kept saying to our friends, yeah, we'll have a housewarming, we'll have a housewarming. We haven't had a housewarming. And we just keep saying, it'd be really nice to bring all of our friends together and in the same place and actually maybe even go indoors if it's cold would be nice. So that would be, that would be it, yeah. Um, who was your first celebrity crush? My first what? Celebrity crush. Ooh, ooh. Oh, <laughs> I just remembered. I bet it was the Fonz. Oh, the Fonz are running from <laughs> And I would have been really young and he would have been probably really quite old, but I wouldn't have realised. Either that or Elvis. I had a real thing for Elvis when I was growing up. I was of the age when they used to play Elvis films on a Saturday morning in school holidays. And I thought Elvis was great. So either the Fonz, <laughs> which makes me laugh. Or Elvis. They're quite a bit similar, I suppose, aren't they? Yeah, there's similarities there. There's like quick dark heads and yeah. yeah. <laughs> quite a bit different. I Actually, funny enough, the Fonz um Henry Winkler, who played him, is a great advocate for reading. He does a lot of um 
promotions for children because he had dyslexia and so oh, wow. he's, he does just quite a lot for dyslexic children and he's, he's done a lot for encouraging reading in children still does I think so yeah oh wow that's amazing yeah I didn't know that yeah. <laughs> still got it <laughs> yeah. um if you're stranded on a desert island what three things would you have want with you oh god um carmex lip salve can't go without it um my kindle can i have my kindle with all my books on it <laughs> <laughs> it'd have to be that oh oh i say my husband it's yeah, you know, not to be on your own. <laughs> it's funny how many people don't. Oh, really? <laughs> Hardly ever, actually. <laughs> oh, no, he's my best friend. So It's been quite nice because he's been uh, working from home in lockdown. And a lot of our friends have said they're basically ready to strangle one another. And we're just like, oh, we're fine. It's OK. Thankfully, you know, we both work. We do proper work days. So, you know, nine to five, we'd barely see each other. So that's, that's the way to keep saying, I think. On a desert island, it might not be so easy, I suppose. It depends how big the island is, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, you might change your mind. Yeah. <laughs> and throw him off into the sea. Well, yeah, yeah. A crime writer, I can think of plenty of ways to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More inspiration for future books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are you working on at the moment and what's coming next? Um, the moment I'm oh, 75,000 words into the DC Cat McKenzie book four. I'd like to say what the title is, but I can't decide on it. So I have no idea. Um, I'm really excited by it, actually, because um, I've been thinking about it for quite a few years and it, I could have even written it as book three, but I hadn't quite thought it all through. So I waited and did a different story for book three. And then when that's finished, I'll be writing the Matt Fisher book two. And I've pretty much got that, the premise and the storyline clear in my head. Some of the details I've got to think through. I can't think of the details while I'm working on another book. So I'll wait for the first draft of the cat book to be finished. And then I can think of the details of, Matt Fisher too so yeah so that should be probably the next six months I'll publish the cat book and then probably this time next year I'll do the Matt Fisher book so yeah well I don't think I have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything I haven't asked that you want to tell us about no I just I'll just say this is the this is the one that's out at the moment, Paid in Blood. It's um mm -hmm. Amazon. And this is the Matt Fisher one. So the blind detective. So if you fancy wondering how a guy can uh, detect crime when he can't see, read it and find out. <laughs> yeah, I've got it to read as well, my insane TBR. <laughs> oh, I bet it is insane. I always think mine's bad enough, but I think people, you know. Doing what you do must just uh, keep growing, I guess, does it? Yeah, yeah, it never seems to go down ever. <laughs> yeah. I say it's not a pile, it's a mountain, but I think even a mountain's <laughs> going to be too small soon. <laughs> wow, keeps you busy. Yes, it definitely does. I mean, who needs sleep anyway? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sleep's overrated. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
Um, so before we go, would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and where they can find your books? Yeah, they're all on Amazon, Susan Handley. Um, I've also got a website called susanhandley.co.uk. And there's a little bit of information on each of the books on there and a little bit of background to the characters as well. Um, and you can also contact me. So if there's anything you wanted to know, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook. Um, so come and have a look. Awesome. That's it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for the interview. It's a really good experience.